From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Andrew Kenny, And I'm Benta Berkland. Our guest today is Caitlin Kim, CPR's federal reporter. She is calling in from Washington, D.C. Hi. Hey, Caitlin. How's D.C.? Very empty, like I imagine Denver is right now. <laughs> Definitely, especially the state capitol. It's temporarily shut down and extremely quiet right now. Snowstorm helps, although a lot of people on the road today. And we're taping this episode on Thursday, March 19th, and things can evolve, especially with coronavirus, which is one of the topics we'll be discussing today. Yes, I know it's been exhausting. It's the only thing in the news. So we're going to try to keep this really specific and forward-looking about Colorado's government and what happens next. Uh, Specifically, we'll focus in on Governor Jared Polis and his actions, why it's been so extraordinary. And we'll also look at how coronavirus has instantly reshaped politics and policy for Colorado. And Caitlin will help us understand what the feds are doing to help and when. But first up... Hot bills. Hot bills. Hot bills. Loyal, dedicated listeners, there will be no hot bills segment this week. That is when we usually talk about the most controversial, the most popular bills, the ones that are attracting the most attention There are no bills attracting attention right now because there is no legislature. Aw, boo. Not bills. This week has been a real education in the power of the state. We've seen Colorado and a number of states declare states of emergency, and it's Mm. given governors extraordinary powers. We've seen in Colorado just a huge shift in the last few weeks that it's head spinning. Governor Jared Polis has shut down the ski industry, mm-hmm. bars, restaurants, gyms, movie theaters, schools. And so governors throughout the country are making these decisions in the middle of this public health crisis. And, you know, normally when people are getting ready to vote for a position like governor, we tell them, oh, the, the governor is not going to have so much direct power. He's shaping legislation and policy. Sometimes, though... The governor can do a lot of things very directly. Exactly. Um, President Trump might disagree with this, but I do think that it's been the states have really been leading when it comes to trying to stop the spread of the coronavirus um, and, and, you know, making these decisions on a state level that now the federal government is kind of playing catch up, um, whether it be paid leave or waiving the testing costs or, you know, trying to keep people socially distant from one another. I mean, states have been moving on this faster, I think, than than the federal government has been. That's right. And Colorado in particular is probably going to be seen as one of the more aggressive movers on this. Uh, they were in the first real set of, of states to close down the restaurants, for example. And now something close to 20 have done that. But Polis was right in there with the first dozen or so. Governor Jared Polis is taking the position of trying to be as transparent as possible and having a lot of press conferences answering as many questions as as possible. It is such a change in the state. I mean, just a few weeks ago, it was life as normal. The Colorado legislature was in session. Children are going to school. People are going to restaurants. And so he's, he's aware of how quickly there's been this radical shift. And he's really talking to folks about, we're in this together, this message of unity, following the science, and urging people to just take some personal responsibility. There's not really ability to police if you're stupid and you have 30 or 40 or 80 people at your home. I mean, maybe the neighbors will complain and maybe the police will come out, but please don't be stupid. Engage in social distancing. The new guidance is no more than 10 and up. 
It's not something you're trying to get away with. What you're doing is you're jeopardizing the lives of your friends and their families. It's going to be really important for Polis to see how this plays out, to see whether people really get on board with him, seeing this as this communal action. And so far, the reaction's been pretty favorable for Polis. His former rival, Walker Stapleton, who ran against him in the race for governor, was praising him. Mm-hmm. We're hearing a lot of messages of bipartisanship, at least for now. The real question is, how long is that going to last, especially now that the real economic pain is hitting? I think that's right. Yes. And I, I think that's a concern for a lot of the Colorado delegation, congressional delegation as well. I mean, you have seen both sides of the aisle sort of support the governor's message, the CDC message about limiting interactions, limiting group activities, mm-hmm. you know, really trying to protect people. I think if there is one kind of outlier, it's been U.S. Representative Ken Buck, who is also the state uh, Republican chair. And he's been one of the highest profile figures to criticize, you know, all this what he called sort of craziness to close restaurants and movie theaters and, and, you know, gyms, you know, that it infringes on people's personal liberties. Um, I don't know if we'll see more of that in Congress, but just given the, the, the economic fallout from all of this, I know Congress mm. has mainly been focused on that. And I think time will tell what the political fallout is. Did the state do enough at the right time? Were things shut down too soon or or too late? It's this balancing act of trying to make it as effective as possible. Governor Polis has said, look, you can't shut everything down forever. So when is the most effective time to do that? Well, it's all about also just flattening the curve, right? They just want to be able to flatten, close everything to flatten the curve. That's right. One interesting way I saw people were thinking about this, though, was this, they called it the paradox of preparedness, which is that if this really works, and that if we do avoid the worst results that we're seeing in Italy, if we're seeing, if we avoid overloaded hospitals and triage choices by doctors, if none of that happens, then will people realize that social distancing was the reason for it? Or are they going to think that this was an overblown reaction? Hmm. Good question. This state is suddenly in economic chaos. We're looking at a billion dollars cut from projections for government revenue over the next 16 months or so. We've got tens of thousands filing for unemployment, 10,000 in a single day. This is really staggering. And I think it's changing how Democrats are approaching what they want to accomplish Mm. policy-wise. We have Democrats in charge of the House and the Senate and the governor's office, big proposals like a public option for health care and any other measure that has a fiscal note and requires state spending. Members of the Budget Committee and the Speaker of the House said that's going to have to take a backseat because we're going to have completely different priorities one thing Democrats did want to move forward is paid family leave. And they, hmm. I think that's one that could still potentially happen. Uh, but because of coronavirus, folks are saying, look, this proves why we need to increase the number of people who have access to paid family leave. So we are waiting to find out exactly how the rest of the, the session here in Colorado is going to play out. And really, if there's going to be a rest of the session, when are they going to come back, these Colorado state lawmakers? And how long will they actually have left to finish their business? You know, putting aside even the question, how are they going to pay for stuff? How are they going to make the time to get into the building and vote on laws? 
the state constitution says the session should end on May 6th. And then we're under the state of emergency. So there's a question about whether session can be extended past that date. Lawmakers have asked the Colorado Supreme Court to weigh in, and this will have big implications on how much time they have to finish their work. Mm-hmm. Lawmakers are scheduled to come back to the Capitol on March 30th and will likely vote on whether to take a, an even longer break. And that got even more complicated, really sadly. Uh, we learned that Representative Daphna Michelson Janay has been diagnosed with COVID-19. She is the first lawmaker that we know of to uh, to be confirmed to have the illness. I talked to Representative Michelson Janay just as it was being announced that she tested positive. She had actually been out of the legislature for a day or two fairly recently because she had bronchitis. And she said she was recovering from that, uh. in touch with her doctor daily. And it wasn't until Sunday that she spiked a fever. Hmm. Saturday was the day lawmakers voted to adjourn. And she got pretty choked up and emotional. She said she really wants people to take this seriously. She wanted to reiterate that she was not at the Capitol when she had a fever. She would never try to expose anyone to this. But she's quarantined now for two weeks. Right. And there are also members of the congressional delegation that are self-quarantining right now. Um, you have Representative Jason Crow and Senator Cory Gardner, both who've decided to take that step out of an abundance of caution. Um, they met with a uh, constituent in Washington, D.C., who later tested positive for COVID-19. And then you also have Senator Michael Bennett, who also met with that uh, same constituent. But he's decided not to self-quarantine. He said that he talked with the physician at the Congress who had said that he didn't need to. So I think it brings into a question just exactly what was his contact versus Crow and Gardner. But yeah, th- that really stood out to me that Bennett didn't self-quarantine, but two other members of Congress did. It, it seems like they all would. Yeah. Well, so this brings into question exactly where he was. Like, was it a group meeting with this with this constituent or was it like one on one meetings? Maybe Crow and Gardner had a one on one meeting or they stood next to the person in a photo mm-hmm. Whereas okay. Bennett didn't. But yeah, I mean, both Crow, both Crow and Garner said that Tri-County Health had recommended they self-quarantine. Bennett didn't really address that, but he said that he consulted the physician of the Congress who said it wasn't necessary, but that he should sort of self-isolate and monitor his health. Wow. Tough decisions for all of them. And to be clear, none of those federal officials have been diagnosed with COVID-19. And back in Colorado, we're seeing an effect on the elections as well. Uh, One Democratic candidate for state representative, Pastor Terrence Hughes, a well-known figure here in Denver, has been diagnosed and hospitalized with COVID-19. And he stopped his campaign, actually. It's terrible to see. Mm, So he's not running for that seat anymore? That's right. Pastor Hughes has effectively dropped out of the race. And meanwhile, we're seeing other candidates who have been really hampered, who said that if they're trying to gather signatures to get on the primary ballot, some of them shut down their signature gathering operations weeks ago, even knowing that that could cause them to not have enough signatures to get on the ballot. They said that with the number of older people who are going to be volunteering or answering doors, that it would be a real threat. Hmm. And now you've got one Senate candidate, Michelle Frigna Warren, who's saying she would like to ask the court to declare that even if she didn't meet the signature requirement, that this great big externality, the coronavirus, interfered and that she should be allowed onto the ballot anyway. We also heard from other candidates who want everybody on the ballot. Interesting. I think it's shifting everything. I mean, typically for campaigns, so much emphasis is put on retail politics, meeting constituents face to face, hosting town halls, candidate forums, all that's going out the window. So it's going to cause a lot of people to have to rethink how they're going to approach this. That's right. I really liked how this campaign manager, Ken Drew, put it to me. 
said you're not going to be out there kissing babies and shaking hands and doing this very social activity. He urged the parties, the Democratic Party especially because he works with them, Mm -hmm. he urged the parties to get on top of this, figure out what a virtual forum looks like, what does virtual campaigning look like, because if you don't, you're not going to be in touch with with your voters. Unlike the Colorado State Capitol, Congress is still in session. And actually, in the words of Senate Leader Mitch McConnell, they're working at warp speed, which is maybe not something that uh, you typically expect out of Congress. <laughs> what are they What are they working on? What are they doing? They passed, I think, an $8.3 billion coronavirus supplemental spending bill and then an even larger measure called the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Caitlin, what was in that? It included a lot, um, specifically towards families. Two weeks of emergency paid sick leave, paid family Uh. leave of up to 12 weeks. It expanded unemployment insurance and food assistance for low-income families. But most importantly, it promised free coronavirus testing for anyone that needs it. I'm going to stress it, needs it, (laughs) not necessarily wants it, needs it. What's that Um, criteria, Caitlin, for needing it? I think that's something that that your doctor would figure would say, yes, you need it because you're running a fever or something. But um, the free testing was something that Colorado Representative Diana DeGette was really pushing for. And by the way, I imagine that there's some rules on that emergency paid sick leave. And I've, I've heard some people left out of the paid family leave. Yeah, it's uh, large companies aren't included. I think companies with more than 500 people. So what everyone was saying was this bill was the first step or technically the second step. And now they're going to try and sort of clean up and sweep up in this much larger bill that Bento was talking about. Interesting. A third package. Yes, a third package, a much larger package, one that could be anywhere from $750 billion to $1 trillion. Wow. And both Colorado senators are offering up ideas for what can go in that bill. And, and, and Caitlin, are they on the same page or do they have pretty different ideas? Um, you know... Surprisingly, I would say that they are on the same page in some of the fixes they want to see. Like one issue that senators, both Democrats and Republicans, are kind of getting behind is this idea of direct cash payments to families. Hmm. How much could a family get then? Well, so that's what's going to be negotiated. Colorado Senator Michael Bennett has offered up uh, one proposal, um, a plan for $2,000 payments for every adult and child. He and a number of other Democrats and one independent senator sent that proposal to Senate leadership. Republicans were looking at a lower number. Uh, Utah Senator Mitt Romney was talking about $1,000. We heard Mitch McConnell get behind uh, $1,200 per adult. So this is something that's going to get negotiated in the next couple of days. Wow, that must be amazing to see. It is kind of interesting to see, especially Republicans, get behind this idea of giving people cash. But I also think it shows just how serious they're viewing this uh, problem. And then we've also got some more specific proposals from Senator Gardner, our Republican senator. Uh, Before his self-quarantine, he presented a number of different ideas, proposals like having microloans through the Small Business Administration, which could be helpful for these restaurants and other businesses that are just getting decimated or a tax rebate, or something that he even called a a limited payroll tax holiday. Exactly. These were all ideas, he said, to help American workers and businesses. Mm -hmm. The one, though, he was really excited about was creating a new unemployment insurance category, the COVID-19 furlough. Okay. Um, (laughs) It would basically let someone collect unemployment insurance while still technically on the payroll of their company. That would be really important for a lot of the people that I've heard about. Uh, I did a, a lot of reporting this week talking to people going through unemployment 
one of the biggest questions we heard was, if I'm on unpaid leave, hmm. but I'm still on my company payroll, can I qualify for unemployment insurance? And the answer was no. If you're forced out of the office because of COVID fears, you're pretty much going to be uh, you're going to be out of luck, which was really surprising for a lot of people to hear. There's a lot of holes in this unemployment insurance safety nets. And so, I imagine a lot of workers could potentially fall into that category. Yeah. And lots of other holes as well, too, like, uh, you know, co- independent contractors, potentially even some substitute teachers I learned. The list goes on. Point being, there's a lot of movement around unemployment right now. And we're going to see, I think, some big changes to the system. Exactly. Let's face it, like Congress never really moves quickly, but they are really trying to move quickly on this. And Caitlin, I know it's been Very strange to be in the Colorado Capitol recently. I can imagine it's the same for the U.S. Capitol. It just not long ago, we would have been talking to you on Purplish about impeachment and all the hearings and everything going on with that. Yes. uh, Now we have a a very different atmosphere at the Capitol, you know. During impeachment, there were like lots of crowds. There was lots of staff. There were lots of people. Um, Now it's the complete opposite. Like it is empty. Like I walked from one end of the Capitol to the other today and didn't see a single soul. And that is just Uh, so different when you're so used to seeing tourists. Right. So it's it's been quiet. Um, But it's just different. I mean, both of you have been in these, you know, reporter scrums with politicians before. Senator is still there and we're trying to like ask questions but not get too close. And it's it's not really working out very well. Are people trying Um, to obey the social distancing thing? uh, You know, you try and then like it's kind of funny while we're all waiting for the the senators to come out. People are like a nice four or five feet apart. Uh And then when they come, you all kind of pounce. Everyone gives them the social distance. (laughs) Reporters just look at themselves the social distance exactly wow. um, i will say the press rooms are trying to instill social distance they're limiting the number of people that can go in uh for a press conference and because and they've put the seats farther apart it's it's different it's very different well we're trying to hold on to some semblance of normalcy here so we are going to finish up with a fan favorite all-time legendary segment <laughs> it's called wait what and you can guess exactly what that is. We, we find moments of serendipity and joy and strangeness that catch our interest. And Benta, I believe, has our wait what moment for the week. Well, I, I would firstly have to say my wait what moment has been almost every day over the past week yeah. and a half. Just things would happen and you're constantly thinking, wait, what? How, how is this possible? So yeah, usually like while in bed and like staring blearily into my phone at the New York Times or whatever getting alerts on our phones. But this is kind of a fun thing we heard about from Democratic Senator Faith Winter. As everyone is isolated right now and not at the Capitol or not at their workplaces, Mm -hmm. she found a a post from a friend on Facebook where people working from home are calling their children and pets co-workers. (laughs) And then they, they post something that their co-worker has done. And then people are sharing that. And she said she's gotten a lot of positive responses on Facebook. Uh, my first one was my coworkers are currently using all the printer paper and yelling at me for not having more. My coworker stuck his hands in the toilet again today. My coworker joined my Zoom meeting today and pretended to be Spider-Man. One of my coworkers was riding a tricycle around the office while another insisted on having a tea party. My coworker couldn't figure out her math, so she stuck her head in her shirt and pretended to be a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so she said her goal was to just bring some levity and bring people together and just kind of share an, an experience when people are physically isolated from each other. 
My my little wait what moment personally was I just read, courtesy of Corey Hutchins Media Newsletter, that the Grand Junction Daily Sentinel took the unusual step of leaving part of its page blank and welcoming readers to use it in place of uh, the toilet paper that they can't get their hands on. Wow. That's it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Andrew Kenny with my colleagues Benta Berkland and Caitlin Kim. This episode was edited by Megan Verlee and produced by Shane Rumsey. Our executive producer is Rachel Estabrook. CPR's head of audio innovations is Brad Turner, who also composed our theme music. You can find me on Twitter at Benta Berkland. And I'm at Andy K-N-N-Y. And I'm at Caitlin Kim. We'll be back in your podcast feeds next week. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News. All right, I think Stay we got- isolated.